0: Hello and welcome to this Nutmeg podcast, a version of the Scottish football periodical For Your Ears. I'm Daniel Gray and this time my guest is the actor Jonathan Watson. Jonathan appeared most recently in the BBC sitcom Two Doors Down. His other credits include Bob Servant and cult classic Naked Video. He's known to many, of course, for only an excuse. Jonathan joined me in the Curlers Rest pub in Glasgow. Thanks to them for opening up early and making us a brew. You'll hear the odd background noise as staff prepare for the day ahead, but if anything, this merely adds to the Radio 4 afternoon play aura that characterises the Nutmeg podcast. Before we begin, your irritating reminder that these podcasts are fortnightly. Do have a listen to what we've done so far. Please subscribe, review, give us some stars. They're like a hug, but without the awkward bit afterwards. Of course, this podcast stands on the weighty shoulders of our print magazine. Issue 10 of Nutmeg is out now, and 11 will follow in March. Please see nutmegmagazine.co.uk for more. Enough of me, here's the podcast. I began by asking Jonathan if he, like me, was a Sabutio kid. Q tape.
1: I was a Subutio kid, actually. Uh, and in fact, I've still got my Sabutio, which is uh, in the garage somewhere. Uh, no, I was I a... Was, uh, I, I just sort of fall in... Fell into football Watching it As a kid Because um, we all Played it at school And We all supported our, our different teams And I sort of Fell into that way And, and um, Also collected Football programmes As well I've got quite a collection. I've still got these as well, despite my wife asking me to, to sell them on the internet. But I've still got all these and I've, I've still got my Sabutio stuff as well. Oh, well How well, sad is that? It's, not, it's, it's
0: quite frequent, <laughs> I think. What do you remember of the Sabutio pitch itself? Uh, did you have to get your mum to iron it like I did?
1: No, no. The thing that we had a dining table. In in the, the our living room, if you like, and it was the right length, but it was just slightly too narrow. So my sabita, I used to stick it onto this and sellotape it under the base, but uh, the corner flags just didn't make, quite make it. So I played a sort of narrow, much in the same way as soon did when I dynamo. Or Kiev played at Ibrox one one time. I narrowed the pitch, so uh, yeah, that was that's my memory of this beauty
0: pitch. I think my mum did iron that actually. So uh, it could it, it you. could also. I remember reading. I think Trevor Brooking used to actually. I was going to say wet his pitch, which sounds terrible. I mean, <laughs> put water on his pitch to recreate a heavier pitch, or oh, to slow the yeah, down. and do different effects to make. Oh, I mean, that, that's, that's why he was a pro. That's exactly me. that's
1: that's why he went down that road, and me went down that road, so.
0: But it was it was a game of those idiosyncrasies. I always remember how a cat would frequently run across and steal the ball and hit right. the men and things like
1: that. And the other thing was it was it was whether you flicked or dragged. Remember yeah, that?
0: Well, a big a, a big split in the sabuto community. Big split. <laughs> Would the teams have been sort of generic Reds v Blues, or can you remember being a Rangers fan if you were lucky enough to have a Rangers team? I
1: had a Rangers team, but
0: the Rangers team didn't come with the, I don't think
1: it came with the Black socks, Red Tops, but I had a Rangers team, I had some really good team. I, the one that I really liked was I had Queen's Park Rangers, and I think I had Queen's Park as well. Cause I like this yeah, little, little yeah the well, hoops well some yeah, yeah well some of the yeah. hoops some of the hoops <laughs> uh, I also had Eintracht Frankfurt
0: I had I had loads I think I'd I had Brazil as well. I think I that. So I had loads of teams. It was always a thrill on the box that teams doubled up for so many, so you wouldn't know who you are. That's right. I think Eintracht Frankfurt doubled up for Walsall. <laughs> that, that kind of combination kind is of tremendous. Combination, yeah. I had the scoreboard, which had thousands of possibilities of fixtures. You had to cut them out from... I still have it. I don't know why I'm talking in the in the past tense. I was playing to beauty with my daughter just a few weeks ago, in <laughs> fact. And you look at... You, she's eight, and they sort of look at you and go, did you really do this? <laughs> and this I'm pleased to hear it's still in your garage, though. There uh, must be the sets in garages up and down
1: the land. Yeah, yeah. But uh, not, sadly, not been played for quite some time now. Do so.
0: you've kept your football programmes as well? Which yeah. is another common thing, I think, among football fans. Even if we stopped going as much, if we stopped buying programmes, we tend t- to keep them. So, what kind of age of programmes do you have? The best ones
1: are, well, I've got it's really all from the 60s. I, uh, I had the one the, of Chelsea's very first colour programme was an inter cities first cup match against Barcelona when the likes so of Eddie McCready played and stuff like that so I've got that the two best ones that I've got are from 67 when both Rangers and Celtic were in the finals of the, the European Cup in this cup and in, in the European Cup and um, I remember coming home at lunchtime and phoning uh, a guy I don't remember about nine at the time phoning a guy at the SFA in Park Gardens and asking for the address of the Portuguese FA and the German FA, and this guy very patiently spelled out the address to these two organisations, and I sent off money orders for the programmes. And a week before the games, I got a copy of the Celtic into Milan from the Portuguese FA. you remember, I still got it uh, in an envelope with a bit of string tied round, and, and the bit of string stayed on despite journeying all the way from Lisbon. Uh, it stayed on, but and they. Um, they returned the money order and with with compliments uh, slip, right? So I got that, and then a day later from the German FA came the the Rangers Bayern Munich program, but they they took the money order and uh, but with a, with compliments slip, but I got that. But the one that I got the the, the Rangers Bayern Munich one is a special one because it was the one that, if you went to the game they were just given a sort of uh, a sort of paper type program just stapled together. But the one that I got was for the UEFA guests of UEFA, so it's quite a special one. So, but these two problems are—they're worth quite a bit of money now. But they're my two best ones.
0: That's fantastic. What, yeah. what a thing, though, as a kid yeah. to to have even thought of phoning up and, and doing do that. Your
1: well, I think we were, there was a number of us in, at school that were quite keen on it, and there was a company that uh, we used to use down in England that used to send out kind of newsletters and things like that. So we're all kind of. Always up to speed and what was available and stuff like that. And that's my kind of post.
0: No one yeah. gets posts like that anymore, <laughs> no, do they? No, no, they don't. <laughs> so 1967, a huge year, as you've said, with Celtic and Rangers and Kilmarnock, in fact. Well,
1: Kilmarnock, yeah, they, I think they got to
0: the quarterfinals of the Intercities. Yeah, I think. Uh, was it looking what of Leipzig uh, that put them in? Ring, it rings a bell and... 67 also sticks out for me because Third Lanark went bust that year. Which is a bit oh, of really? A, so 67, I believe, was also the year of your first Rangers game. It was. It was. It was the semi-final that the Rangers played.
1: I think it was the, was the um, second leg against Slavia Sofia. And Willie Henderson scored with a header. And, yeah, they win, won one nothing. But my dad told me that. It was a Wednesday night. And that was my that was my first Rangers game. Your
0: first game was a night
1: game. A night game, yeah. All the excitement of getting the the subway from St George's Cross to
0: I think we got it to Cessnock and walked along rather than get it to Copeland Road. But that's what I remember about that game. Do you still have an impression of what Ibrox looked like at night?
1: I can't really remember too much about. Uh, I can remember my dad and I leaving and all that kind of stuff, and I remember where we sat in the in the main stand. But my, my I don't really have a sort of recollection of what it was like that particular night. But I do often think, uh, one of the things that I I used to love was in European nights, that kind of glow of the floodlights mm. and everything. And uh, irrespective of where you're going to see a game, I always love that. There's yeah. something quite magical about it, I think.
0: Absolutely. Right through, my, my early memories of Rangers growing up in England are a European run in the early 90s when they played Leeds. And, yeah, uh, yeah. John Lukic claimed to be have been blinded by the Ibrox floodlights. Blinded. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was about. at
1: that. I was at that game, and I remember saying to one of my pals on the way there, we were crossing the bridge over the M8, and we could see the the floodlights. And he, I don't think he'd been to a big European game before. And I said, it's, it's fantastic. I said, but I'll tell you this. I said, you will he- if they score in the first minute, you will hear a pin drop, and that's exactly what happened. McAllister scored in the first minute and there was this deathly silence <laughs> it's eerie eerie and uh, but I remember that and I remember the return leg because I was actually recording in, in BBC up at, I was recording in the studio that night and I was just sort of getting little bits seeing little bits because it was coming in through in the ring main before it edited because it wasn't good. I don't think it was going to live and uh, so I saw Heatley's goal just in the early stages
0: of that game as well so some of the very best times have been European times, and undoubtedly it being under floodlight always helps that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Going backwards uh, into the late 60s and early 70s, you continued to go to Ibrox as a teenager.
1: Presumably, When, when with, I was in secondary school. What I kind did, of names,
0: yeah. what kind of heroes, who do you see when you picture Ibrox in that time?
1: At that time in the 70s, Sandy Jardine and John Gregg and Willie Matheson and Peter McCloy Willie Johnson, and they were all features of the side. Uh, uh, Dave Smith as well, and then latterly, uh, the the later part of the seventies, Davy Cooper joined as well from from Clyde Banks. So these were the kind of characters you got to see on a in a regular basis. I used to go quite a lot when I was at, when I was at school, and then when I, when I left school before I went to drama, college, when I was at drama college, I didn't get the opportunity to to go as much, just because I couldn't afford it as as easily. So the, the sort of late 70s, I didn't see so much of them. And then it picked up again in the sort of mid-80s. I became a season ticket holder just prior to soonest arriving in 86. And I kept my season ticket for 13, 14 years. And by that time I was married and we had a small son and I wasn't getting the opportunity to go as much, so...
0: Notably and strangely, Graham Soonis is still called Saunas on T side. Is he really? If yeah, cosplayed well, for Middlesbrough for a couple of years. Well, I, rem- I, I remember
1: well, G- Jim Rosenthal, I remember one of the early <laughs> clips of him playing for Middlesbrough with Bobby Murdoch yeah, in, in the team, and, uh, and it was
0: Saunus, yeah, he was Saunas That's how he's called. Must be who we, we must have copied. Must have copied Jim, Jim, Jim Rosenthal, Rosenthal. Yeah, yeah. What about old firm games? Because I read in a, an interview from a few years ago that you. Think your first Old Firm game was probably seventy three seventy four in a cup semi final. I don't know for no, I think or did you go early? I was wondering if there was a reason you sort of held off. Was it? Did, did mums used to stop boys going to Old Firm games? Well, you know, seventy three. So I'd be about sixteen or so,
1: and uh, but looked about twelve. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I think my mum and dad were were slightly wary of me going along to these events. My vet, the, My my first Old Firm game. It might have been a cup semi-final. I think Harry Hood might have scored uh, hat-trick. a hat-trick. That's
0: the, the interview I'd come across from uh, 10 or 15 years ago in the Scotsman, I think. Yeah, that was at Hamden. That
1: was a midweek game. The one that I remember most clearly was, certainly my first Old Firm game at Parkhead, was when I think Rangers won 2-1. Uh, and, but it was notable in that both Derek Parlane and Pat McCluskey were both sent off. But I remember it being quite scary because as we left down the, the steps, the steep steps at the back, I, I I, get carried away from
0: the crowd and my feet didn't touch the ground. Particularly scary because you're talking just a couple of years after the aerobatic disaster. After the disaster, it's a disaster well. that's right. But I, I always remember I was carried right
1: down. Both, me and my pal, Ralph McKinnon, we were at school together. We were carried right down without our feet touching the ground. And then, and then we, we took the wrong... We had never been before we took the wrong turn and ended up going home the way that all the celtic fans went home and we ended up in high street station waiting for a train back into queen street being the only rangers fans on either platform and a, a huge man a massive big guy in a green and white knitted jumper shouting abuse at
0: us across the other side of the platform it's terrifying
1: yeah. absolutely terrifying
0: i think so much of that era when I, when I listened to fan experiences, they're always told with a bit of a smile as you're smiling now, but terrifying was the word quite often. Oh, it was.
1: it? I was. I mean, I remember the two of us just very, <laughs> very surreptitiously tried to take off our scarves and stuff them in our jean pockets. Uh, but uh, anyway, we, we, we made it out alive, so it was okay.
0: What do you remember of, of the reaction to the Ibrox disaster in Glasgow At the time, you would have been, you know, a a teenager, I think. uh,
1: I remember it clearly because um, I was with my dad and we had stopped into, had us off sales just near St George's Cross and my dad had gone in for a drink for that night and he bumped into, my dad was in advertising, but used to work in in papers as well, and he bumped into a, a journalist that he knew that worked for The Record. And news had just started filtering through that there was something wrong. This the, the journalists were very dismissive about it and said "I stuck said, oh, well, only about five people or something like that. He said that that's that's all that's going to be. And then of course, in the course of the next hour or so, it became clear that it was a lot more than that. And I remember phoning one of my pals because we knew of a classmate that was that was going to the game and wondered if he was all right. No, it had a terrible time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so your own kind of lean years included going off to London for a couple of years. I said that like it was an accusation. Lean years? (laughs) uh, Lean years away from football. Oh, lean years away from... Well, yeah. I um,
1: I moved down to to live in London uh, around about 86, 85, 86, and stayed there for about three, four years. At that time, I went to see Arsenal.
0: That was going to be the next question. Highbury.
1: Highbury, because I lived in Highbury and Islington. A beautiful old stadium. Well, you can still
0: see the main stand, luckily, because they've made it into flats. To flats,
1: but I used to go... If I was going to go to a game, I would just go on a Friday in the main door and get the tickets in in the reception, the marble halls, the marble hall. But and it also the thing about it was it reminded me a lot of uh, Ibrooks. although it was a difference. It was very much Art Deco, yeah. which obviously uh, Ibrooks isn't. But uh, there was something about the grandeur and Absolutely. everything about it that, that, that reminded me of. It. And of course, if the Arsenal and Rangers had had quite a connection. They used to always play a pre-season friendly uh, either at uh, Highbury or up at Ibrooks. That was a, a regular occurrence.
0: Would you call Arsenal your English team to this day?
1: No, no. I, I, actually, I used to, when I was, well, I, I, I quite like them and uh, keep note of them, but I also keep note of Chelsea because, it was it, Typhoo Tea used to do the, if you sent away tops from the, the, the tea packets, you would get team photos plus a little rosette. And uh, so I didn't, the one I sent away for was was Chelsea. So I quite like Chelsea as well. And I, I like West Ham, I like their, their sort of history. So I've got, no sort of particular one but
0: I like all these I, I love th- how, how chance it can be that you take a team into your uh, affections just something like that a, a giveaway product that you send yeah. away for and you've remembered them for the rest of your life
1: Yeah you do I mean I had out of that though no, I had Rangers I had Chelsea and I had Tottenham Hotspur this is the early 60s that I'd collected these things. And they, they'll, they'll probably be in the garage
0: somewhere as well no doubt It's the pension, this pension <laughs> Yes
1: Yes we need it <laughs>
0: In case you'd forgotten or become distracted by an attractive stranger passing by, a reminder that you're listening to the Nutmeg podcast, a version of the Scottish Football Periodical for your ears. Please subscribe, review and have a listen to our previous podcasts. Now, back to us, prattling on about something or other. So, after a couple of years in London, back here and Rangers were winning everything.
1: Well, yeah, they, they certainly. When, when I moved down... Uh, Soon as he' just taken over, and of course that had a, a big impact in the game up here, and certainly set Rangers up to do very well over the you know the next ten years or so.
0: Do you remember the seminal day of mo johnston signing
1: i do i do we were uh, we were rehearsing naked video, and I got a phone call about half six in the morning saying you 're never going to guess what 's out uh, I remember it clearly going into rehearsal and there 's a mixture of Rangers and Celtic fans in the production, like Philip and uh, Philip Differ and Tony, obviously Celtic fans, and myself and a couple of production
0: team were, were Rangers fans, so I remember it clearly. You mentioned Philip there, Philip Differ, who's been a lifelong or career long collaborator with you on, on a lot of, the oh, th- one of my things that you've oldest done. just friends, and yeah, a great friend and a, a great writer, producer, yeah. and a Celtic fan. Do you feel the rivalry has become more, not between you and Phil, <laughs> between Rangers and Celtic fans, has become more acidic and more more bitter? I,
1: I do. Years. I absolutely do, actually. Because, funnily enough, if you were to ask me, who, you, who would you like, who would you choose to watch an old-firm fir- game with? Every time I would say, Philip, because we have such a laugh watching it. I think it has, but I think it's partly down to the way the teams have changed. I mean you know you talk about the, the time that you know and soon arrived and all that and of course Rangers had you know Alan McCoys and Ian Durant and, and Davey Cooper and, and Celtic had likes of Paul McStay uh, Peter Grant you know a really great club member but they had a huge respect for each other and I'm not so sure that that exists today between the two between the two clubs I always remember that we were lucky enough that 87 when Celtic won I remember being a guest of the club, getting a tour and everything like that, prior to kick-off, the day that Celtic were going to be crowned champions. And Campbell Ogilvy was he showed us the, the the league championship trophy and he said he said, I'm actually I'm gonna take this over to the pavilion tonight. Uh because he said, you know, despite irrespective of what happens today, Celtic were crowned champions, he said in the Celtic stories were in the pavilion, he said and they want Big Roy to come out at the end and lift the trophy aloft, so send the crayon down. And I said, you're going to do that? He said, oh, yeah. He said, he would thoroughly deserve it. He said, yeah, he said, it'd be a great night for them. And you think, God, would that
0: happen now? Unimaginable.
1: I mean, as you know, things change so much in the game, so maybe that'll come round and, you know, the, the camaraderie will, you know, come back.
0: And into the 1990s, your career, of course, taking off and Rangers... Taking off beyond all imagination Only not winning the league on one occasion in, in the decade Incredible time
1: Yeah, it, it was It was, uh, And I, I I, was fortunate enough to, to see an awful lot of these games and, and enjoy the success I just wish it would come
0: back <laughs> <laughs> This is where we wallow in the past though. Yes, exactly <laughs> I mean,
1: you're, you're talking about these times I can't really remember clearly all the different occasions that I saw it so them win the league. The, the ones that stick out was, I suppose, Gascoigne helping to beat Aberdeen. I remember picking up to Tanadice as well, managing to get a seat a week crammed up the back of the stand. But the one that I remember was, I don't know if you, you when soonest left for, for Liverpool, Rangers faltered in the running and Aberdeen had the chance to, to clinch the league. And I think if they, a draw would have been good enough at Ibrox for them to win the league and they end up; they didn't. They, they get beat two nothing, and Rangers were out in their in their legs. I mean, people were getting cortisone injections. The folk left in crutches. I mean, it was you know, it really was. They really had to stand up and do the job. But that day, Bob who was the commercial manager. He said, "Come along." He said, "Bring a few pals." He said, "And be my guest." And he said, "And you can sit at the one of the tables in the Thornton Suite." So we were fortunate enough to sit in the company of Willie Waddle and Willie Thornton. Two fantastic old gentlemen that, sadly, no longer with us, but, you know, leg- true legends. I mean, le- the word legends banded about, but these guys were. They, were. they were a huge part of the fabric of the club. And uh, I always remember, prior to the game starting, Scott Nisbet came up, and uh, he, was, he was in the... Sc- I think he played that day. And Willie Thornton beckoned him over, and had a wee word with him and Scott shook his hand and said thank you very much and went away and I said well, what would you say he said, he said well I just told him he said then the young boy that's playing in goal for Aberdeen today is a 17 year old Michael Watt he said I just told him he said the very first chance that he gets is to barge him into the goal <laughs> and what happened was Rangers got a corner in about the first minute the ball came in and Michael Watt went for it and Mark Haley hammered them into the back of the net. I mean, absolutely banged them into the back of the net. No, I don't know if there was any intention of playing the ball. And the boys' confidence was shot from that moment on. And Rangers gradually got a control of the Aberdeen had a great team at that time. They had a really, really good side. But uh, that's what I always remember about that.
0: Tips from the old school. Tips from the old school. I like
1: it. But it was so politely done. And that was the thing about it. It was, it was so polite about it.
0: <laughs> Have there been many signings where you've thought, not as a Rangers fan, but as the man behind, only an excuse? So surely Gaza was just a gift. Gaza was a gift. Dick Advocat, even more so, believe it or not. Uh,
1: just because of his. Uh, he was a real character in a but in a different way, but dick was dick was great he was because we ended up doing him in an only excuse as a as a stand up comedian uh, latterly that was the sort of angle we took from him so uh, he was great soonest was great because that was when we, the program started initially as a, as a radio program there wasn't uh, we, we didn't really sort of do much mimicry it was only i think Dennis Law was the only one that that we did, but when when we first trialed it on TV, Soonis was one of the first characters that we, that we did, and uh, that that one worked quite well. So, so these guys were good. Walter was good as well because he was completely different from Sunnis. But the, at that at that time, across the the length and breadth of Scottish football, there was a host of characters to to, to choose from. You know, you you Jimmy Calder, we'd, you know you can back to.
0: Did Martin and Neil? Yeah, all these guys. Um. And good to see the Jimmy Calderwood uh, orange makeup back for Brendan Rodgers. Of course, You've been able to, to we, open we, the tin back up.
1: Open the tin back up and get the spray, <laughs> the sp- spray tan on for for the bold Brendan. Yes, uh.
0: it's a, a classic question. But what kind of reactions have you met with down the years about those whom you've played on, on Hogmanay?
1: Well, I can honestly say that the the reaction has always been very very positive. People like Kenny Dalglish. And uh, Graham Soonis have been. I mean, we know that they they really, really enjoy. It. I mean, Kenny's asked me to to do a couple of charity things incorporating only an excuse, uh, which I was happy to do. And you know, huge fans of the prom. They, they they really enjoy it. So I mean, it's a anything, any time that we do anything on an excuse. It's uh, some of it is quite cruel, but it's not as cruel as the humour now. In a football changing room, so and, and they know that we're fans of the game as well. So would you uh, say it comes from a place of affection? Oh for yeah, the very game? Mu- very much so, very much so. And because we've always, if we've thought something was maybe over the mark, the way the way that we've judged it has always been: well, how would we feel if the person came right into the room as soon as we've done it? How would we feel? And if we felt really awkward about it and couldn't defend it, then we would
0: pin it. Do you think the fact that it's on every year at Hogmanay, I, there won't be a country on earth? I don't think that has a football show just two hours before, uh, you know, all <coughs> its big television and things. Yeah. Does it reflect how ingrained football is in, in Scottish culture?
1: Well, I, I think it. I think it. It. It does. Uh, and although the, over the past few years the, 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 we ha- we were asked to incorporate more of other aspects of Scottish life. Like, the political side of things. As far as Philip and I are concerned, it is first and foremost a, f- a football programme. And and last year, the one that was shown recently, we hope went back to that. And if we were fortunate enough for it to go again, I would hope, it would be my hope, that it would be totally football and leave I the political side. I think
0: football's the of. only refuge some of us have got at the moment. Yeah, I
1: think so. And I think, you know, people are, be sick of... Politics again by the end of the year, but uh, that that's something that we've, we consciously this year. I said, "Come on, let's try and get it back." But you know, it's um, it's what the bo- the bosses want as well because uh, the the reaction I get to it is, is always great. But I think people think that I uh, write, direct, film, do the sound, do everything, and uh, I don't. I mean, I'm just employed in the in the show as an actor to to play out it's a team of writers isn't it it's a team of writers I mean I'm invited to to contribute for instance the doing Brendan Rogers as Daniel O'Donnell that was my idea uh, from one of the production meetings and and that proved to work quite well but I mean I I don't have any editorial control whatsoever and in fact the first time I see the final edit of the programme is when it's transmitted So, uh, so sometimes it comes as a surprise to me what's in what's out as well so
0: As we speak now two doors down, fourth series uh, airing, magnificent as ever. Do I have a vague memory of your character, Colin, uh, being a Tartan Army fan and wearing a kilt at some stage? Yes,
1: uh, Alex and I travelled, I think, to Latvia. Yes. Uh, That was one of the the storylines. We didn't actually travel to Latvia. We we (laughs) pretended to board a flight at Pressway Airport in one of their training aircraft. And and that's right, he he taught... In fact, I think... Is it next week? He talks about his his love for for falling Scotland again. So
0: oh, well, that's uh, timely because I'm going to ask you now. We've talked a lot about Rangers. Are you someone that has attended many Scotland games? Or yeah, that?
1: yeah, yeah. I I used to go quite a lot to see Scotland, and uh, I've been fortunate enough to to have been to a couple of World Cups as well. So, but when I, when I used to go and see Scotland is is when Soonis and Leash were playing uh, when they had a you know. A, a really good side. I mean, are really, you know, really good players, um, and used to do, you know, very very well and qualifying for these tournaments.
0: You mentioned you have a son who's at university now. So what? Twenty? Uh, he's nineteen. Uh, nineteen. Yeah, yeah. His generation won't remember Scotland in the tournament. He has. He
1: has said to me. He said. He said. He's not great. He's not a big fan of football. He watch it now and again. But he said. He said. He said. Do you think? He said. Well will Scotland ever qualify for a World Cup? You know, it's like, as if, you know, would this ever happen? And I <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think the way things are just now, I think very, I mean, touch wood, I hope Big Alec has got a bit of luck and, and they do, but I think this is the closest I can remember. I think they do stand a, a, ch- a chance now, so. But I know he says, do you think I'll ever, I'll ever see Scotland qualify? It's
0: an, it's an amazing thing, because even <coughs> not being Scottish the thing you, are, you knew was Scotland always qualify when I was growing up. That's what your dad would say, oh, Scotland always qualify. Yeah, they and, do, and, yeah. And little did we know that 98 would be the last time, and thank goodness for Shelley Kerr and, and her team. Yeah, exactly. this time. Yeah. As you hear and we've gone into the area of football being mentioned in, in drama and comedy and things, why do you think in films and in drama the dramatisation of football is always so bad?
1: I think it's because it's really difficult to shoot, I think that's the, that's the main the main problem i mean I, I i'm speaking from it i did a a feature film about twenty years ago called the match and it it was very very difficult to shoot the football in sequences if you the, if you look at uh, american films like the natural about baseball that's easy because they're they they're pinging the ball it's a set template and they're pinging the ball to different areas and they that works but you don't have that with football. It's you know it's spreading over such a wide area. I think it's it's I think it's a very very difficult thing to to recreate. I think the the, the drama bits and the build up they can do that okay, but to actually shoot the game, film the game, I think it's very difficult.
0: And it's not because actors are rubbish at football.
1: I think it is to do with the fact <laughs> that actors, unless I tell you, but the, in the match. I mean, I was I, I remember being interviewed, it was STV or and David Heyman was in it you're talking about David Heyman earlier on. David Heyman was in it, Andy Gray was in it, uh, Gary Lewis, um a whole crowd of us. Richard E. Grant was in it and uh, Neil Morrissey. I was the i was the best, but the mile they said, Are you, I said, I'm the white pelly in this team. <laughs> and uh, I remember when we got to shoot it, Mick Davis said to me, he took me to say, he said, Listen, he said, because it was all lined up for somebody to score. He said, he said, if the ball comes to you, he said, just hit it. Just hit it and see what happens. So uh, that's what ended up happening. No, I think it's very, very difficult to to, to recreate the, the the magic of the open game. That.
0: We had an article in Nutmeg recently about a shot at glory.
1: Oh, yeah, what yeah. Your
0: memories of that? I hate, I'll I hate tell mixed you, reviews.
1: I'll tell you my memory, a shot at Glo- glory. I, I, went, I was down in London... And I met Mick Davis, because the match and the shot at glory were done round about the same time. I'm, I met Mick Davis on the Friday. He actually offered me the job in the sport. He said, do you want to do it? I said, yeah. He said, right, he said, do it. So uh, I was travelling back up on the Saturday morning to go and see Rangers play Hearts in the Scottish Cup final Parkhead. Hearts won. Uh, and after the, the game, I get driven back to the West End and I get dropped off. This before I was married. And I went to the BBC Club uh, when it was up by Botanic Gardens. I was standing talking to Bob Cramsey, talking about the game. Bob was a lovely, lovely man. And so, so uh, just great company. So two of us are standing at the end of the bar, near the door, and the door opened. And Robert Duval walked in. And we were, everybody was absolutely gobsmacked. He here's this. You know, a legend of, you know, the Godfather, you know, Tom Hagen. He just, I couldn't, I was like, Dum. and uh, I think I said, he, this. His, his wife at the time, this absolutely stunning Argentinian girl, who's <laughs> <was> a bit <laughs> younger than me, uh, he's, she's by his side, and he went, hello. I said, I, I said, Mr Duval, lovely to meet you. And he shook shoot me in the hand. And he'd, he'd been along to the game as well. And I don't know if you remember, the, somebody had given him a scarf with a really offensive, <laughs> bigoted slogan on it, and the Sunday Mail had him front page with it, holding this
0: orange thing I've his head, and you're like, oh. What do you think sustains your interest and enthusiasm for football, for football in Scotland in particular?
1: Well, I've got to be honest with you. I have, I've my enthusiasm is uh, in recent years has has tapered off somewhat. I think it's beginning to. I think. It's beginning to pick up again. Uh, the standard's beginning to pick up a, l- a bit again. But over the past few years, I think the the standard has been been poor, and I think that's reflected. Crowd's not been as great. You know, the the international team not doing so well and and stuff like that. But hopefully that'll change and it will sort of get back on its feet again.
0: It's hard to maintain that level of love and enthusiasm when you've seen such glory days.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, my first Scotland game, I saw Pele and Garincha play. It was a, a, a friendly, a warm-up friendly for Brazil for the 66 World Cup. Tremendous memories. Still got the programme and the rosette for that.